have scandalous affairs, write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders, look good on camera, end all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to be worn prominently on my stylish jackets. It's time to work together to take the country back from us and return it to ourselves. It's time to turn this country around and drive it into opposing traffic. It's time to take a chance on the Chancellor.
talk about, brag about who got the biggest and the baddest guns. Trying to see the copper with the world top. They drop the gun, they wanna run. Put them guns down. Now the sheriff got them locked up. <laughs> they sitting in the county jail. It's a shame. I heard the mama, she was crying all night. She can't get no money for the bill. Come on. Now the man with the home run. Cause they didn't put the money in the commissary. Trump is gone. 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 I don't need no other words to this song. But Trump is gone. Trump is gone. Oh, yes, he is. Trump is gone. 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 I don't need no other words to this song. But Trump is gone. Trump is gone. One more thing I want to tell you. Come on, John. Pence is gone. Pence is gone. Yes, he is. Pence is gone. Pence is gone. Pence is gone.
Now we'll have our announcement. I bring you greetings from the White House. Say a word, Tommy, say a word. Tell Paula White, <laughs> Trump is gone. Free. Tell Bob Johnson, oh, Trump is gone. Somebody tell Kanye, oh, that Trump is gone. Tell Diamond and Silk, that Trump is gone. Yes, he is. Tell Ben Carson, Trump is gone. Let's go. Come on here. Wayne. Watch your voice, Doc. Trump is gone. Yes, he is. Trump is gone. Trump is gone. I'm tired of moon songs, of star and of June songs. They simply make me nap. And ditties romantic drive me nearly frantic. I think they're all full of pap. History's making, nations are quaking. Why sing of stars above? For while we are waiting, Father Time's creating new things to be singing of. Sing me a song with social significance. All other tunes are taboo. I want a ditty with heat in it, appealing with feeling and meat in it. Sing me a song with social significance, or you can sing till you're blue. Let meaning shine from every line, or I won't love you. Sing me of wars and sing me of breadlines. Tell me of front page news. Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines. Dress your observation in syncopation. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must get hot with what is what, or I won't love you. I want a song that's satirical, putting the mirror into miracle. And come. 
special. Tell me of mills and mines. Sing me of courts that aren't impartial. What's to be done with them? Tell me in rhythm. Sing me a song with social significance. There's nothing else that will do. It must be tense with common sense or I won't love you. And good morning. Good morning. This is the Labor and Love Show from Mutiny Radio, as we do every, every Saturday morning from 10 to 12. We invite you into our mind, our programming, for two hours of labor opinion, labor history, labor commentary, by, for, and about the working people. That's you, that's me. Welcome, everybody. You're tuned to Mutiny Radio. And our place is 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida. Come on down to Mutiny, a true community arts center. <clears throat> when the COVID came along, did that stop our peerless station manager, Pam Benjamin? from holding her weekly open mic comedy sessions? No. She simply moved it outside. Come on in to Mutiny Radio. Be a programmer. Be a videographer. Be a comedian. Be an artist. It's all right here. And this is The B. This is the show where we tell you how it is, Labor and Love Radio. One person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table, that is, where you work, you're on the menu. And never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's just a waste of time. Of course they don't want you to have a union. Of course they don't want you to ally with other workers. Your work makes them rich. So it's the Labor and Love Show, yeah. What do we got for you this week? Take a look here. Our regular features, Radio Labor, Labor History in Two, AJ Plus with Francesca Fiorentini and uh, Decoded with Francesca Ramsey. Speech today by Martin Luther King. A speech that he gave to a junior high class. What's the direction of your life? We've got a piece from Studs Terkel's Working Musical, speaking of social significance. The passing of the great Hank Aaron and a story about the woman who had to open his hate mail. 
What was Aaron doing to deserve so much hate? Ray Charles and the Rayettes singing every, lift every voice and sing. What's happening in the National Labor Relations Board? And on and on and so much more. We started out this morning. <clears throat> Last song we played was Sing Me a Song of Social Significance. This is from the musical Pins and Needles that was uh, produced and performed by the International Lady Workers Garment Industry. <laughs> I, I mauled that up, but it was um, Sing Me a Song of Social Significance, which is the kind of music you will hear on this show. Before that, we had the one we keep on playing from the comedy Comedy exclusive, Trump is gone. And before that, Bishop Bullwinkle special for my buddy EJ up there in Sacramento, holding it down. <laughs> and so much more, as we say. So, start out with Martin Luther King. This is a speech that he gave at a junior high school. And it, it was one that was uh, presumed lost, but somebody had taped it at the time and found just found this tape. So let's listen to what King has to say. What is your life's blueprint, is its title. Which was in 1967. Principal Fornese, Mr. Williams, members of the faculty and members of the student body of Barrett Junior High School, ladies and gentlemen. I need not pause to say how very delighted I am to be here today and to have the opportunity of taking a brief break in a pretty busy schedule in the city of Philadelphia uh, to share with you the students of Barrett Junior High School. And I want to express my personal appreciation to the principal and the administration uh, for inviting me and for giving me the opportunity uh, to see the 
this very fine and enthusiastic group of students here at Barrett. I guess I ought to start out with a commercial, and that is uh, tonight we're going to have a great night in the city of Philadelphia at the Spectrum. Now, I know you've heard of that new impressive structure called the Spectrum. And I know you've heard of Harry Belafonte and Aretha Franklin and Nipsey Russell and Sidney Poitier and all of these other great and outstanding artists. Well, they're going to be here tonight at the Spectrum. And I hope that each of you will go home and tell your parents to be there tonight for this great Freedom Festival. And I hope you will come also, for it will be a great experience. And by coming, uh, you will be supporting uh, the work of the civil rights movement. Now that I've gotten the commercial out of the way, I'll move on and uh, say some things that I want to say very briefly. And I'm being very honest, I'm going to be brief because I have other engagements. I don't have a tradition of being brief all the time. You know, I'm a Baptist preacher and we can talk a long time. But I'm going to really be brief today. I want to ask you a question and that is what is in your life's blueprint? This is the most important and crucial period of your lives for what you do now and what you decide now at this age may well determine which way your life shall go. And whenever a building is constructed, you usually have an architect who draws a blueprint. And that blueprint serves as the pattern, as the guide, as the model for those who are to build the building. And a building is not well erected without a good, sound and solid blueprint. Now each of you is in the process of building the structure of your lives. And the question is whether you have a proper, a solid, and a sound blueprint. And I want to suggest some of the things that should be in your life's blueprint. Number one in your life's blueprint should be a deep belief in your own dignity, your own worth, and your own somebodyness. Don't allow anybody to make you feel 
that you are nobody. Always feel that you count. Always feel that you have worth. And always feel that your life has ultimate significance. Now that means that you should not be ashamed of your color. You know, it's very unfortunate that in so many instances, our society has placed a stigma on the Negro's color. And you know there are some Negroes who are ashamed of themselves, but don't be ashamed of your color. Don't be ashamed of your biological features. Somehow you must be able to say in your own lives and really believe it, I am black but beautiful. And believe it in your heart. And therefore, you need not be lured into purchasing cosmetics advertised to make you lighter. Neither do you need to process your hair to make it appear straight. I have good hair, and it's as good as anybody else's hair in the world, and we've got to believe that. blueprint, be sure that you have that a principle of somebodyness. Secondly, in your life's blueprint, you must have as a basic principle the determination to achieve excellence in your various fields of endeavor. You're going to be deciding as the days and the years unfold what you will do in life, what your life's work will be. And once you discover what it will be, set out to do it and to do it well. And I say to you, my young friends, that doors are opening to each of you. Doors of opportunity are opening to each of you that were not open to your mothers and to your fathers. And the great challenge facing you is to be ready to enter these doors as they open. Ralph Waldo Emerson, the great essayist, said in a lecture back in 1871 that if a man can write a better book or preach a better sermon or make a better mousetrap than his neighbor, even if he builds his house in the woods, the world will make a beaten path to his door. That hadn't always been true, but it will become increasingly true. And so I would urge you to study hard, to burn the midnight oil. I would say to you, don't drop out of school, and I understand all of the sociological reasons why we often drop out of school. But I urge you, in spite of your economic plight, in spite of the situation that you are forced to live so often,
We're listening to a speech given by Martin Luther King Jr. in 1967 at a uh, predominantly black uh, middle school in Philadelphia. Terrible conditions stay in school. And when you discover what you're going to be in life, set out to do it as if God Almighty called you at this particular moment in history to do it. And just don't set out to do a good Negro job, but do a good job that anybody could do. Don't set out to be just a good Negro doctor, a good Negro lawyer, a good Negro school teacher, a good Negro preacher, a good Negro barber, a beautician, uh, a good Negro skilled laborer. For if you set out to do that, you have already flunked your matriculation exam for entrance into the University of Integration. Set out to do a good job and do that job so well that the living, the dead, or the unborn couldn't do it any better. your lot to be a street sweeper. Sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures. Sweep streets like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets like Leontine Price sings before the Metro Metropolitan Opera. And sweep streets like Shakespeare wrote poetry. Sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. If you can't be a pine on the top of the hill, be a scrub in the valley. But be the best little scrub on the side of the real be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, just be a trail. If you can't be the sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. some noble examples of black men and black women who demonstrated to us that human nature cannot be catalogued. They and their own lives have walked through long and desolate nights of oppression, and yet they've risen up and plunged against cloud-filled nights of affliction, new and blazing stars of inspiration. And so from an old slave cabin of Virginia's hills, Booker T. Washington rose up to be one of America's great leaders. He lit a torch in Alabama, and darkness fled in that setting. Yes, you should know this because it's in your own city, from a poverty-stricken area of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 
Marin Anderson rose up to be the world's greatest contralto so that a Toscanini could say that a voice like this comes only once in a century. And Sibelius of Finland could say, my roof is too low for such a voice from the red hills of Gordon County, Georgia. And the arms of a mother who can neither read nor write, Roland Hayes rose up to be one of the world's great singers and carried his melodious voice into the palaces and mansions of kings and queens from crippling circumstances. There came a George Washington Carver to carve for himself an imperishable niche in the annals of science. There was a star in the diplomatic sky. And then came Ralph Bunce, the grandson of a slave preacher. And he reached up and grabbed it and allowed it to shine in his life with all of its scintillating beauty. There was a star in the athletic sky. Then came Jackie Robinson in his day and Willie Mays in his day with their powerful bats and their calm spirits. Then came Jesse Owens with his fleet and dashing feet. Then came Joe Lewis and Muhammad Ali with their educated fists. All of them came to tell us that we can be somebody and to justify the conviction of the poet, fleecy locks and black complexion cannot forfeit nature's claim. Skin may differ, but affection dwells in black and white the same. If I were so tall as to reach the pole or to grasp the ocean at a span, I must be measured by my soul. The mind is the standard of the man. And finally, Finally, in your last blueprint, must be a commitment to the eternal principles of beauty, love, and justice. Don't allow anybody to pull you so low as to make you hate them. Don't allow anybody to cause you to lose your self-respect to the point that you do not struggle for justice. However young you are, you have a responsibility to seek to make your nation a better nation in which to live. You have a responsibility to seek to make life better for everybody. And so you must be involved in the struggle for freedom and justice. Now, in this struggle for freedom and justice, there are many constructive things that we all can do and that we all must do. And we must not give ourselves to those things which will not solve our problem. You've heard the word nonviolent and you've heard the word violent. I happen to believe in nonviolence. We've struggled with this method with young people and adults alike all over the South and we have won some 
significant victories, and we've got to struggle with it all over the North because the problems are as serious in the North as they are in the South. But I believe as we struggle with these problems, we've got to struggle with them with a method that can be militant, but at the same time does not destroy life or property. And so our slogan must not be burn, baby, burn. It must be build, baby, build. Organize, baby, organize. Yes, our slogan must be learn, baby, learn, so that we can earn, baby, earn. And with a powerful commitment, I believe that we can transform dark yesterdays of injustice into bright tomorrows of justice and humanity. Let us keep going toward the goal of selfhood, toward the realization of the dream of brotherhood, and toward the realization of the dream of understanding goodwill. Let nobody stop us. I close by quoting once more the man that the young lady quoted, that magnificent black bard who has now passed on, Langston Hughes. One day he wrote a poem entitled Mother to Son. And the mother didn't always have her grammar right, but she uttered words of great symbolic profundity. Well, son, I'll tell you, Life for me ain't been no crystal stat, it's had tacks in it. Boards torn up, places with no carpet on the floor, bare. But all the time, I's been a climbing on and reaching landings and turning corners and sometimes going in the dark where there ain't been no light. So boy, don't you stop now. Don't you sit down on the steps cause you finds this kind of hard, but I'm still going, boy. I'm still climbing, and life for me ain't been no crystal stair. Well, life for none of us has been a crystal stair, but we must keep moving. We must keep going. If you can't fly, run. If you can't run, walk. If you can't walk, crawl, but by all means, keep moving. Martin Luther King, uh speaking in 1967 at a middle school in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And what I'm always uh, impressed with um, when I, I hear or listen to one of the King's speeches is it's about work. He was talking to these kids about their work, what kind of work they were going to do, what was in their life's blueprint. 
and how no matter what kind of work you have, you should do the best at it. And of course we know he, he was uh, he was assassinated, murdered by a, a white man during a labor dispute. He had gone to Memphis to help striking workers, Martin Luther King Jr. Okay, uh, have some music here. Um, there's one I wanted to play. Of course, now I can't. Oh, I got it. Okay. Had a James song. Put great writing. I don't want to hear about Grammarly. Sorry. This song is dedicated to the late Edward James. May God rest his soul. Something told me it was over When I saw you and him walking Something deep in my soul
Sorry about that. Let's see if we can get it going again. My bad. Something When the reflection of the glass that I had to my lips, my baby. Reveal the tears I had on my face. I would rather go blind. Rather go blind. Than to see you walk away from me. Reflection of the glass 
get a little tint. Like the river I've been running, running ever since. It's been a long, long time coming, but I know the change don't come. Oh, yes. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. I don't know what's up there beyond the sky. It's been a Change gonna come. Oh, yes, it is. Yesterday, 
Okay, normally I play three songs per set. I'm going to interrupt myself today for a couple of reasons. The first is to comment on this last song. Um, if you haven't seen a video called um, One Night in Miami, I would advise you to go see it. It deals with this song and with its author, the great Sam Cooke, and his meeting uh, on the evening of the, of the day when Muhammad Ali defeated Sonny Liston. And uh, after the fight was over, he gets together with Malcolm X, who was his advisor at that time, with Jim Brown, great football star, NFL star, uh, Sam Cooke, what did I say? I said Jim Brown, I said Sam Cooke, I said Malcolm X, and they sit down and they talk and they yell at each other. Malcolm X is upset with Sam Cooke because his music is so commercial. And uh, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali are kind of on the sidelines, but then they get into it too. Very interesting movie. Now, the other reason I am hesitating is because I want to celebrate a very special lady. Her birthday is today. Her name is Vita. And Vita, this song goes out to you. I appreciate this song because you turned me on to it. Meet the Rich. Come on, baby, and eat the rich. Come on, baby. 
That was uh, Eat the Rich by Motorhead, of course, bringing to mind uh, Jonathan Swift's famous essay, A Modest Proposal. What should we do with all these street urchins, these little children running around the street and messing everything up? We should eat them. And he uh, included a recipe. Eat the Rich by Motorhead. And as I say, that goes out to you, Vita. Happy birthday. Before that, we had A Change Is Gonna Come, uh, the song of the great Sam Cooke, uh, the song that uh, Malcolm X was admonishing him to write uh, in the play. The play, of course, is fictitious. The... The four of them really were friends. And at the moment, Malcolm X was advising Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali. And uh, later on, Muhammad Ali joined the Nation of Islam and became a Muslim, Muhammad Ali, and turned his back on Malcolm X. Malcolm X, of course, was... Uh, left out to dry and murdered in 1965. All right, let's take a little break here, a little jazz, and we'll be back on the other side. Okay, we're back. And I want to 
play something from um, a musical by uh, Studs Terkel. It was, um, uh, how can we say, it was based on a book called Working by Studs Terkel, adapted by Stephen Schwartz and Nina Faso. The book was about work. Turkle, in his uh, usual very thorough and passionate way, went around and interviewed people about their jobs, about their work. <coughs> and he put it all into a book entitled Working, similar to his book about the Good War, World War II, and uh, several other works. He let people talk for themselves. So this is, let's see if we can get this one. We've got, starts with a poem by Walt Whitman. So let's turn it on. From the book by Studs Terkel, with songs by Craig Carnelia, Mickey Grant, Mary Rogers, Susan Birkenhead, Stephen Schwartz, and James Taylor. Recorded before an audience. LA Theatre Works is proud to present the first revised and updated version of this 1970s popular classic. Based on Studs Terkel's amazing book about everyday exertion and everyday people, working is for anyone who has ever punched a clock a cow, or a supervisor, or wanted to. And now, working. Is it Monday already? How can it be Monday? Was it yesterday Monday?
Somebody, don't you want to hear the story of my life? One of them movie companies, TV documentaries. Won't you come and ask me, please? And pay me a million dollars to tell you what I do at the store. Because if you pay me a million dollars, I wouldn't got to go and do it. Somebody, don't you want to hear the story of my life? One of them movie companies, TV documentaries. Won't you come and ask me, please? Typically in the morning, you wait at the shanty till 7 o'clock. You go in at 7. You start walking your way up the ladder, climbing up the steel. Every two floors, you plank it off. Then you disconnect the bottom of the mast, and you tie it to the boom on top of the choking cable. You get a heavy block on the job, probably weighs 200, 250 pounds, something like that. I started when I was 18 years old working structural steel. I worked on towers probably 120, 130 feet high. One of the things they say about somebody with an inferiority complex is, they're afraid of heights. So automatically, every iron worker has got an ego. 
you're doing something that somebody else can't do. And you wear a tool belt. You know, when you're a kid 18 years old and you have wrenches in like a holster, you're like a cowboy, a sailor. If I put a two by four on the floor, I couldn't knock you off with a stick. But if I put it up 50 feet and a little gust of wind comes and you overreact, you end up falling off. That's why most iron workers start off as kids. When you're 18 and just out of school, the guy next to you walks the beam, you're going to try and walk the beam too. Iron workers very, very rarely fall in the hole. That's what our term is. If somebody falls off a building, they fell in the hole. We talk a lot about it among ourselves. You iron work long enough, you're going to get some real scares. I notice myself, I get a copper taste. You know, when you put a penny in your mouth when you were a kid, you know that taste? Taste of fear, I guess. As you get older, you reconcile yourself to the fact that it's easier to drop down and coon across the beam, we call it. It's easier, but you lose all the hair on the inside of your legs. You can always tell an iron worker because they don't have any hair on the inside of their legs. Another bad thing. Up here, we don't have any outhouses or anything, so we got to piss in the columns. Everybody's always drunk the night before, so they're always expelling themselves down these columns. But the problem with that is that eventually something's going to happen where you're going to have to work down below. <laughs> yeah, and the worst thing in the world is you have to burn something down there. You know, it's like cooking a toilet. But I always knew I was going to be an iron worker. My older brothers were iron workers. My father was an iron worker. So it was a natural course of events. My father was very disappointed I didn't go to college. We had a college boy at work this summer. One time he saw a book in the back of my pocket. He was amazed. He says to me, you read? That's what can get to you sometimes, you know, the non-recognition by other people. To say a man is just a laborer, a woman is just a housewife, it bothers you sometimes. Sometimes, some mornings, I look across the skyline for a building I worked on, say, uh, that office building right there. And I look down and I can see a big fancy car pulling into the parking garage I built. And I know some guy from the Burbs is driving it, and I know he's never going to think about me. But I think about him sometimes, you know, driving his air-conditioned car into his air-conditioned office, just sitting back there enjoying the ride. Damn this traffic jam. I'm here at work at 7.30 a.m. I leave at 5 p.m. In between my meetings, I answer messages, email, try to avoid my boss. One always has a boss. You have a boss. Your boss has a boss. There's politics the entire time. Sometimes you have a good boss, which I've had, and sometimes you have a Satan boss. Like the boss I have now, we sent out a notice that said... The Brotherhood of Cubicle Cuties would like to have a Christmas party. And I got called in, and he said, you can't start a union here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at him and going, you should be focusing on the fact that we haven't delivered any work for two months. I've been in a lot of different cubes. I've been in the high wall cubes. I've been in the half height cubes. At one place, they didn't have any cubes. There were just desks, eight of us, all at desks with little phone lines, little buttons that light up when you're on them. I'm going, oh, my career is really taking off. 
I paper the walls of my cubicle with posters. I bring in flowers, brought in my favorite ceramic lamp. Oh, and these little things on top of my computer, we call them computer gods. <laughs> I guess I have more decorations than I thought, but I like getting fun things because it's kind of, you know, if you look at it without the decorations, it's kind of a drab looking place. So things like glow in the dark skeletons go a long way. I can see the programmer in the cubicle next to me through the reflection in the window. <laughs> at night, I can see her reflection and see what she's doing. Quite often, she's emailing jokes to her sister. <laughs> I also acquired a webcam. I set it up so it points behind me and I have this little window on my computer which is the webcam picture. And if somebody walks behind me, I can see them. <laughs> One guy in the corner of my room talks very loudly on the phone, so I'm filled in on his personal life to a great extent. I hear him talking to this girl he loves, and his mom is giving him hell and things like that. Finally, I said, you know, I hear everything you're talking about. Now I hear in the corner on the phone. I know something sensitive is going on. This industry is highly hit by mergers, which means significant layoffs. I've been through two of them. My mentality is quite different than the people who are 20 years older, the lifers. I have no sense of loyalty because I know they have a business to run and they will lay me off if it's prudent. I accept that. But for people 15 years senior, they've given their life here. For a few measly bucks, you're tossing us aside. I'm like, get over it. It's a different world. There's no loyalty anymore. <laughs> I don't perceive that anyone my age thinks they got hired here, they've got a job for life. What they feel is, all right, I'm going to get as much money as I can from this company, then I'm going to move and get more money. Jobs aren't big enough for people. When you ask most people who they are, they define themselves by their job. I'm a doctor, I'm a radio announcer, I'm a carpenter. If someone asks me, I say, I'm Amanda McKinney. At certain points in time, I do things for a living. I'm a fellow who likes to work. Some people enjoy tennis. I enjoy work. I enjoy being a leader. I enjoy being the guy everybody looks to. I like the responsibility of having thousands of people working for me. In our world of money, Money management is the sexiest job there is. If I'm called a freebooter, a pirate, a robber baron, I take it as a compliment. Absolutely. Who developed America? The regulators, the SEC, or was it the Mellons, the Rockefellers? I mean, tell me what they did bad. Rockefeller shot down some workers in the Copperfield. He exploited them, absolutely, some say. And who benefited? There's still Standard Oil, isn't there? Mellon's Bank is still around. Listen, how many national parks were preserved by these robber barons? These were the giants who built the cities, who built our country. Unless you have losers, you cannot have winners. Excuse me, Mr. Winship, you asked me to remind you we have a conference call coming in five minutes. Look, I'm going to have to cut this short. I want to get on the phones before the markets close overseas. Everybody works long hours these days. I believe kids work harder today than ever before. Kid wants to make it. He's got to be willing to work 
long hours. Then he's got to go to school nights, learn federal policy. See, you've got to know how to outsmart the regulators to make a profit. It's easy. Christ, if you can't outsmart one little government staff, you shouldn't come to work in the morning. <laughs> I should be their teacher. You know, I always wanted to teach, but they don't want a businessman. They only want people in the academic world who have a formalized and, I think, empty training. This is what I'd like to do when I get tired of all this. Get involved with young people. Pass along my knowledge, my experience, my value. Good morning, Hernando. How are you? Good morning, Linda. I miss you. In your heart, you may have a dislike for a certain child, but you force yourself to say, Good morning, Manuel. How are you doing? My name is Rose Hoffman. I teach third grade. At 9.15, we start with arithmetic. I have tables fun on the board. Multiplication. You don't say tables. You say tables fun. Everything has to be fun, fun, fun. Then we have a penmanship lesson. There it is in my beautiful handwriting. I have a Palmer Method diploma. I tell my kids, Mrs. Hoffman's here. Everybody works. Working is a blessing. But I don't give them assignments over their head. I don't tell them the reason for things. I give them the rote method. This, of course, is very boring, very monotonous. But habit is a great thing for these children. They adore it. Habit, they love habit. I like to be sure my room is clean, the desks are well organized, I like uniformity, I love straight lines. <laughs> oh, the neighborhood is changing, and the type of child is changing. Now I have 32 in my class, about 23 Spanish. I have maybe two Appalachians, all oh, the little Appalachians, they never have the special attention these other children get. Their names aren't Spanish. My heart breaks for them. Oh, in the old days, you had 18 to 20 children who stayed in your class from the beginning bell to the very end. Today, the child comes in and leaves for computer lab, art therapy, teaching English as a second language. I'm shocked that English is the second language. When my parents came over, I didn't learn Jewish as a first language at the taxpayer's expense. The Polish didn't learn Polish as a first language. Oh, yes, I have seen great changes since I began teaching in 1959. January 6th, 1959. My students then were Polish primarily. I loved the Polish people. They worked hard. We had two colored families, but they were very straight. Of course, in those days, we had the paddle. That was very effective. I believe in corporal punishment. It builds respect and trust. My classroom was always a showcase. In those days, we did it ourselves. That was an excerpt of Studs uh, Turkle-based musical called Workin'. Produced by the Los Angeles Theater Works, LA Theater. And uh, while you're at it, check the book too.
Red's Turk was working. We've got, as usual, I've got a lot more stuff here planned than I have time to do. We're going to get a call from our campus correspondence at 11.30. So I want to... I want to talk about a man who died yesterday, a man named uh, Henry Louis Aaron. If you're a baseball fan, you know who he is. If you're not, uh, listen up. Henry Aaron, uh, called Hank, was a ball player and one of the great black stars who came to the fore in the 1950s, following uh, Jackie Robinson by a few years. These guys um, left their mark forever on the ball game. This, there was uh, Willie Mays, who with one catch sort of... Uh, advanced the entire cause of black players. Um, there was Roberto Clemente, who became a leader of the Latin players. There was uh, Frank Robinson from Oakland, California, one of the great all-time players. And there was Henry Aaron. There were others as well. There were great white players. Uh, I think right off the top of my head, uh, Val Kaline and uh, Mickey Mantle. There are a lot of others as well. Stan Musial, Ted Williams. These four guys uh, came to the fore in the 1950s, uh, faced a great deal of opposition. And it fell to Hank Aaron to threatened the record of a white icon, Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was a kind of the darling of my dad's generation. Um, great player, great home run hitter, a great pitcher as well. Um, but Aaron came along in the 1950s and just by consistency now, he threatened the great Babe Ruth. This is an article about the woman who read Hank Aaron's hate mail. On June 13, 1974, two months after breaking Babe Ruth's record, Hank Aaron received a plaque from the U.S. Postmaster General. It said, America's number one in both home runs and fan mail. Not all of it was from well-wishers. This is on Slate, by the way. The 900,000 letters Aaron received in 1973 contain hundreds upon hundreds of racist attacks and deep death threats. Aaron, who died on Friday at the age of 86, was black. The man whose record he'd broken, Babe Ruth, was white. Aaron entered the 1973 season one short of Babe Ruth's sacred 714 mark. 
and spent the, weather, the winter worrying about if he'd be assassinated or not. Handling this correspondence was the work of Carla Copland. Copland was working in the basement of what was then known as Atlanta Stadium when Aaron asked her to help him with his correspondence. She had no idea what she was in for. By 1972, work became so demanding that Aaron got her written into his contract as a full-time secretary. Copland, who handed Aaron cards and letters to autograph, and Copland, who fielded the hate mail and reported the threats to the FBI. One stack of outgoing mail went to the fans, often with a form letter from Aaron that concluded, I will try to live up to the expectations of my friends. Due to his longevity, Aaron was one of the last active players in Major League Baseball to have played in the Negro Leagues. He was raised in Mobile, Alabama. When his team moved from Milwaukee to Atlanta, he went back to the South with reluctance. Black ball players still faced widespread abuse from fans and sometimes even from roommates. But it was the letters, hard evidence of nasty, naked racism that made his pursuit of Babe Ruth into a national civil rights story. The letters came with strong KKK hoods and read, you black animal and you will die in one of these games and many things worse. Copland even got some herself. Lonnie Slayton's fifth grade class at Blessed Sacrament in La Crosse, Wisconsin wrote to Aaron, Dear Hammer and Hank, I have heard about these sick letters you have been getting, but don't pay any attention to them. Black is beautiful, and I will always be your number one fan. There was a bad moment when Aaron hit the home run. Two fans, white fans, came out of the stands, young men, and ran with him. And people were afraid that they were going to assassinate him, but they were just wanted to appreciate him. Hammer and Hank, Aaron. Let's see if we can get Vin Scully here. Once again, a standing ovation for Henry Aaron. So the confrontation for the second time. Aaron walked in the second inning. He means the tying run at the plate now. But we'll see what Downing does. Al at the belt delivers, and he's low, ball one. And that just adds to the pressure. The crowd booing. Downing has to ignore the sound effect. 
and stay a professional in pitches games. One ball and no strike. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. Okay, that was Hank Aaron hitting his 715th home run as called by uh, the Dean of Baseball Announcers, Vin Scully. In the meantime, we've gotten our phone call from Vita and Yemen, our campus correspondent. Hello, you guys. How you doing? Running to you, just a second. So how's it going today? I was just playing um, Henry Aaron, um, a baseball player who broke Babe Ruth's record and faced a lot of racism because of it. But um, what's going on with you guys? Say something so we can get a sound check. Hi, hi. Oh. Very good. Okay. Um, much. We're still happy about the inauguration, and we're still flying high from that. Oh, all right. Things are going good out here. We haven't seen any disturbances. On inauguration day, there were a lot of cops. I went to San Francisco, and there were a lot of cops everywhere, all along the freeway and everything. So, but yeah, nothing, nothing uh, bad. Happened out here, it's all under control. Yeah, one significant thing we've noticed is that uh, the air seems a lot less orange now that the orange man is gone. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's been pleasant. That's a nice thing, huh? Yeah. And yeah. So um, it, it just strikes me as totally ironic that for years and years and years, our government has been telling us that the problems the problem people, the people who are going to try to tear down American democracy are the Mexicans or they're the yeah. Black Lives Matter people or they're the Muslims. Yeah. And it turns out yeah. that it's the white people. You know? Oh, yeah. They yeah. got the closest. They got the, they got the, the closest, number one. Yeah. You know, totally they got different. right there. One, one wrong turn away from the whole American Congress. Yeah. Yeah, they were coming to kill people and it's take like people hostage. Al-Qaeda who, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, all the money that's been spent and all the energy that's been spent to on propaganda, you know, to uh, make us believe that the threat comes from without. Yeah. It's our own yeah. people who are uh, our yeah. own white people. The yeah, people who... In another form, right. And it's like, dude, just go away. 
Well, now so there's. I hope that isn't, you know, too. You know, I hope, I hope nothing happens, and I hope they don't pull any other stuff. But his impeachment thing is coming up soon, and I heard that Mitch McConnell wanted to push it back. So hopefully, it doesn't get pushed back, and it happens soon. And you know, who knows? Yeah, you know, Bill. What do you think about the fact that you know it seems kind of fishy to me? Now it seems weird because. I'm starting to feel like Trump actually was hoping on them getting Pelosi and getting these people, and I I don't know, because, like, you know, he's he's undergoing an investigation right now, which seems like he was taking a big risk, and the outcome he really wanted seemed to be, you know, the Pelosi out of office, Pelosi gone, kidnapped or something. Yeah, yeah. So that that, the next person in power was, uh, was... something like that like it seemed like he actually wanted them to take that right turn i think so i think so i think he wanted to attack and pence too poor pence almost got hung yeah yeah he wanted he wanted those people to pay he didn't want to be directly responsible of course he is but uh what i wanted to ask you guys this morning was what uh what do you expect from the Biden administration? What would you hope that Biden and his people get to work on? Well, I guess um, stimulus relief bill, and I guess um, some some of the like turning back the environmental things that Trump did, which they already started doing that, um, and they like rejoined um, environmental treaties and peace agreements. So that's good. You know things like that to stabilize things. Hopefully, uh, I would ex- I would like them to take better care, like of the virus, and to it seems like they are. Who knows? But I'd like them to take better care of the virus, and of course the vaccines and all that business. So uh-huh. domestic issues is what I'd expect them to not start any wars or anything. Just to take care of what's going on here. Uh, okay, so. Um... How about student loans? Do you guys have student loans? I mean, that's one promise that he made, that he was going to do something about oh, that would be awesome. the heavy yeah, debt. Yeah, small student loans, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely student loans would be huge. Um, I mean, it's just what's best for the GDP, if you think about it. Um, and I, I also would like them to start talking about increasing the number of, of judges um, on the, you know, on like, uh huh. Yeah. And you know, bring it up, uh, bring it up three more, five more, um, mm-hmm. because this isn't gonna work out. We have too many different uh, people in the the pot now, the pot that is America. We need more representation. And I would like to see them. I would like to like see them undo everything that Trump did, and then make that like a sort of put that on the media like way more. You know, like we want to know that because Trump did a lot of bad things, like PA wise. Yeah, you know, national parks wise, you know, drilling wise, like we need to know that's not who we are anymore, and that's not what we're gonna do. And we need, like, Biden being in office is not enough here every day that things are being undone and taken the opposite direction that Trump took them in. Uh huh. Yeah, I expect them to deal with the immigration problem. 
to their parents. Oh, God, and yeah. And fixing all the issues that are going on there. And, like, um, the whole border of uh, Mexico keeping people from, uh, the, like, other Latin American countries detaining them there. I think that should go out the window, too. Because AMLO signed that from a while ago. Yeah. And it became a thing. And then Mexico became much more rigorous on, like, immigration. So... I don't know, I think um, there should be other stuff like that, but I think there's also negative things, like the whole idea of Israel. They're not backing down from their support on Israel. They're also probably going to try to have an issue with Venezuela again. Yeah. Or Russia, you know. But, I mean, I think they're going to continue, like, the same vein as Hillary Clinton, sort of. I think you're right. I think a lot of that is going to go back to... Uh quote-unquote, normal. But right. um, yeah. I, I was just going to do a, a thing about the uh, National Labor Relations Board. One thing he did do was uh, fire two people from the National Labor Relations Board who were, like, adamantly pro-employer. These were pig lawyers who worked for firms that uh. put on anti-union campaigns. So that is one positive. Uh, That's good, yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, um, time's going by here, and I really appreciate you guys calling me. <laughs> Thank you for having us. With your views, and um, hopefully something will happen this week, something positive, and we'll start seeing, you know, the good things of, of the U.S. instead of uh, just just everyday Trump. It's, I mean, it's almost like a lull in the news, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing same. about Trump. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we see his, him like a Mubarak's face. Uh, ah. Mubarak, you know, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, yeah, we'll see. The, the former president of Egypt. Of Egypt, right. Yeah. Yeah, he's a criminal. Okay, well, talk to you guys later. Have a good day. And, uh, Take care of yourselves. Thanks for having us. Okay, thanks for coming. Bye bye. So that was our campus correspondence, Vita in Yemen, uh, calling from UC Davis. And uh, it's almost time for us to get out of here. And I want to play a goodbye song. To Mr. Trump, sung by sung by Lidia Mendoza.
at George Washington University. Okay, it's time for us to get out of here and leave you to the tender mercies of flat black plastic with Mr. Scott Walker. That last one we played was Las Cafeteras singing Georgia on my mind in appreciation to the people of Georgia for uh, electing two progressive senators. And before that, we had Malombre speaking about our president, ex-president, thank God. Um, Malombre translates into a bad man, but it's uh, much more serious than that. It's a, a, an out-and-out swear word. Malombre is talking about how this guy 
ruined her when she was just a little girl. This is the bee saying goodbye. the seas of mutiny radio.fm from there you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures they've got live comedy to small business advice lgbtq friendly to sports vinyl to gutter punk mutiny radio.fm has the best programming the internet ocean has to offer you I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Thibault of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every month.
Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for... Let's watch a full-length movie on... YouTube. We watch the best movies that... uh, Aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by Uh, Here's his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch a full-length movie. San Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento. And 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy. Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside MutinyRadio.fm here at 21st and Florida. 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. St. Valentine's Day Mascara streaming live on Facebook Sunday, February 14th 11 a.m. An International Affair hosted by Ms. Noir. Do you crave a carnal comfort? Are you longing for some lecherous lines? Is it seduction from a sultry song that you seek in? Or would you rather be ravished by rhythm and drive? Care to venture a little voyeuristic versification with this lyrical libertine? Or could this wanton words which may be with an appetite for an allegorical adultery? Why not slake your literary lustings in a personal one-on-one? St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. St. Valentine's Day Mascara. 14th of February 2021. 11am PST. Facebook Live. A date for everyone. Hosted by Ms. Noir. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes, which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country 
as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Well, you can do it. You have a motorcycle? If you want to fit out side bags and cool stuff, talk to Unmute. Go to SkinOnSkins.com. That's S-K-I-N-O-N-S-K-I-N-S.com. You just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather? Go see Unmute. Everything is handcrafted and understated quality. Fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs. He also does fixes. Maybe you love that jacket. Please go back in. Talk to Unmute. Skin on. 